This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Blair. Want to hear something scary? Join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folk tales, and ghost stories that I learn on my travels around the world and that we receive from listeners like you. But only if you think you can handle it. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sweet screams. Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of suicide and abortion that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults. Today's episode is our second installment in our series covering the Church of Euthanasia. The Church, as we'll be referring to it throughout this episode, was founded by musician and computer programmer Chris Corda in 1992. Their mission was to spread the message of the importance of population control through four main methods, suicide, abortion, sodomy, and cannibalism. It's hard to pin down its exact membership, but at its peak, the church had between 100 and 200 members in the Boston area, and Corda claimed that its online congregants numbered in the thousands and existed in at least 48 states. In part one, we examined the origin story of Chris Corda, a nonconformist born into an extremely wealthy family who despised modern capitalist society and feared that global climate change and ecological damage would destroy life on Earth. She founded the Church of Euthanasia after dreaming about an alien called the Being, which told her that humanity was destroying the Earth and that the human population had to be controlled through exclusively voluntary methods. Today, in part two, we're taking a closer look at the members of the Church of Euthanasia and the publicity stunts and performance art demonstrations they staged, as well as the controversies surrounding the church and the church's slow fade from the public eye. To help keep our podcast cults in the public eye, we'd like to ask a quick favor. Would you mind leaving a five-star review of cults on your favorite podcast directory? It's quick and easy, and it really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. In our previous episode, we mentioned that the majority of the church's followers were performance artists, environmentalists, and activists. Very little is known about most of the church's followers or its leaders, but Corda did boast a few prominent members and supporters. Some of the church's well-known members included horror author Poppy Z. Bright and 1960s counterculturalist icon Paul Krasner. Cartoon and filmmaker Nina Paley was designated a Cardinal of the Church. 
She was also affiliated with the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. They were an environmental awareness group that was founded around the same time as the Church of Euthanasia and also believed that the end of the human race was necessary to save the earth. They were pro-abortion and encouraged adoption and fostering for those who wanted to be parents. Unlike the church, the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement was firmly anti-mass suicide and did not promote any kind of cannibalism. It also did not hold elaborate public displays, a hallmark of the church's activities from the beginning. Though they weren't officially affiliated with the church, Corda also claimed that Dr. Jack Kevorkian, the euthanasia activist, and Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, were canonized as saints by the church for their contributions to population reduction. One of the most noteworthy figures in the church was Lydia Eccles. Eccles had been with the church since its early days and viewed Corda as a genuine prophet. She said that what attracted her to the group was that it was, quote, the ultimate heresy, which turns all of society's values upside down. It's amazing as a woman to have someone patting you on the back for not having kids. The prevalent culture defines not having kids as an act of selfishness. Chris is redefining it as an act of selfishness to have kids, end quote. In September 1995, Eccles and Corda decided to launch the Unabomber for President campaign, which promoted Ted Kaczynski, a domestic terrorist known as the Unabomber, as a write-in candidate in the 1996 presidential election. Corda supported Kaczynski because of the manifesto he had written, Industrial Society and Its Future, in which Kaczynski argued that his bombings were necessary to draw awareness to what he viewed as the destruction of freedom and dignity by modern technology. Kaczynski believed that any technology that caused society to become organized on a large scale was immoral and wrong, a position that Corda agreed with. The church couldn't endorse Kaczynski without violating its tax-exempt status, so Eccles independently founded the Unabomber Political Action Committee, or UNAPAC. That allowed Corda and other church members to support the cause without getting in trouble with the government. UNAPAC's slogan was, If elected, he will not serve. The campaign was intended as a satirical protest, against what Corda and Eccles perceived as the failure of the existing political system, which they felt was insufficient to address all the structural problems with society, namely that a structural society existed at all. In 1996, the campaign culminated when Eccles led a group of Unabomber for President supporters in a demonstration at the New Hampshire primary. The campaign drew national publicity, though it was mostly viewed and portrayed by the media as a joke rather than a legitimate political protest movement. The Unabomber campaign reflected one of the biggest discrepancies between Corda's ideology and the actions she supported. Corda had maintained throughout the founding of the church that she opposed any involuntary methods of population destruction. To save the earth, humans needed to voluntarily reduce their population. However, she now pivoted and defended her support of UNIPAC by saying that Kaczynski was, quote, fighting a guerrilla war against the media system, end quote. Korda applauded Kaczynski's method of, quote, 
blackmailing the media into publishing what would otherwise be unpublishable, a 30,000-word indictment of every aspect of the technological state, including specific advice on how best to destroy it. End quote. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Vanessa, didn't supporting a terrorist seem opposite to Corda's belief in voluntary means of population reduction? This wasn't the only inconsistency within the stated beliefs of Corda and the Church of Euthanasia. It's also strange that the church's website housed a page that was full of articles of dubious scientific validity, questioning and even denying the existence of HIV and AIDS. Remember, the Church of Euthanasia's mission was rooted in the scientific rationale behind concerns about overpopulation and environmental dangers. It's possible that this misinformation was included because some members of the church believed that the diseases should be allowed to go unchecked so as to reduce the population. But that again goes against Corda's stated belief that she did not advocate involuntary means of population reduction. Normally, this would induce some sense of cognitive dissonance or the mental unease that arises from holding conflicting beliefs. Corda, however, didn't seem to concern herself with such inconsistencies, saying, quote, We're not obliged to be consistent. We're not obliged to make sense. And we frequently don't. What we are obliged to do, again and again, is to punch through people's pervasive sense that things can continue the way they are that business as usual can continue. That's what we're here to do. We're here to interrupt that flow. And whatever tactic works well for that at any given time is what tactic we'll use. If it helps to be rational, we'll be rational. If it helps to be irrational, we'll be irrational. In other words, she had come up with a values system wherein she could say anything she wanted, no matter how far it was from the church's principles. According to Jean-Marie Abgral, an anti-cult psychologist, this is a common tactic taken up by cult leaders, which can lessen that sense of cognitive dissonance for both the leader and their followers. Which explains why Eccles went along with the Unabomber campaign. And if anyone thought to criticize Corda's inconsistencies or tactics, she could just claim it as either satire or shock value. By that token, it also didn't matter if the personal ideology of individual church members was in sync with Corda's personal beliefs. They were just exercising their rights to express themselves. And public expression was extremely important to the church. From its inception, the majority of the church's activities involved spreading its message through in-your-face images and extreme rhetoric that included slogans like, Honk if you need an abortion and props like a crucified sex doll. After the church successfully became classified as a tax-exempt educational organization, it started to ramp up its activities. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now. 
the story continues. On September 7, 1996, Church of Euthanasia members held their first counter-protest of a pro-life demonstration at an abortion clinic, bringing with them slogans like, Feeling maternal? Adopt. And make love, not babies. From then on, the church could regularly be found at similar counter-protests at clinics and quickly became infamous for its obscene slogans and props, including fake fetuses and water guns shaped like penises. Members used these props to harass protesters at numerous clinics, including those at a preterm clinic later in September of 1996. Around this time, the Church of Euthanasia began ramping up its public focus on suicide. The Church stated that anyone who killed themselves because of its teachings would automatically be canonized as a saint of the Church, providing detailed instructions for ending one's life on its website. In December of 1996, the Church attempted to set up a suicide assistance hotline that would provide callers with instructions on how to commit suicide and purchased a billboard that had the hotline number, as well as the slogan, Suicide Assistance Hotline, helping you every step of the way. Corda maintained that this was a satirical play on suicide prevention hotlines and told Boston Magazine, quote, obviously there is supposed to be a certain amount of black humor in all of this, end quote. 9X, the East Coast telephone company through which the church had been planning to set up the hotline, did not see any humor in the hotline, and refused to host it. The church was, however, able to purchase radio airtime in multiple cities to spread this message in 1996. Their suicide facilitation ads said things like, quote, If you are depressed or ill or feel burdened by today's world problems, let me suggest a way to give your life new meaning. Kill yourself, end quote. In an issue of the church's online magazine, released in February 1997, Corda expressed her wish that someone would commit suicide and credit the church, and that the deceased person's family would sue the church. She believed that there could be nothing better for the church's media exposure than a lengthy public trial over the legality and morality of encouraging suicide. Well, black humor or not, Corda said on multiple occasions, that she hoped someone would kill themselves as a direct result of the church's messages. She regularly glorified those who committed suicide and held ceremonies to celebrate when other cults and groups of people partook in mass suicides. One such event celebrated the Heaven's Gate cult, which in 1997 culminated in 39 people taking their own lives. A few days after the news broke, Corda held a ceremony in a public park during which she kissed 39 earthworms, each representing a suicide victim, and returned them to the ground. But of course, the church wasn't only focused on suicide. In October 1997, the group tried to stage a fetus barbecue at one of the largest pro-life events in the nation, the annual Walk for Life on Boston Common. They had to leave after a park commissioner became enraged and tried to strangle a photographer who was taking pictures of the church members. Well, that seems like the kind of irony Corda must have appreciated. They also advertised a protest of a fake fetal trafficking ring that was supposedly taking place at a sperm bank. When pro-life protesters gathered in front of the bank, church members unveiled a member, 
wearing a giant inflatable penis costume, who then ran through the crowd. In Corda's eyes, the more offensive the group was, the better. Corda said, quote, anti-abortion protesters tried to intimidate everyone with shock tactics and disgusting prompts, but we can outshock and outdisgust them any day. We're seizing the moral low ground right from under them, end quote. A bit later in 1997, the church welcomed someone who would become perhaps their most well-known member, Vermin Supreme, a comedic performance artist, aspiring politician, and activist. Supreme, a charismatic and engaging speaker, served as the Church of Euthanasia's self-described clown. Corda always vacillated between discussing the church's ideology with deadly seriousness and characterizing it as a Dadaist art movement. In other words, a movement whose entire objective was to get people's attention by being purposefully shocking and absurd. Where Supreme was upfront about the fact that he viewed the church wholly as a satirical, humorous movement. In a later interview with Shovel, he said, quote, The humor in the church is undeniable. I think the underpinning critiques of industrial society are right on and are heartfelt and pretty damn serious. And the church's response to that is to create this in-your-face da-da spectacle for the people and actually take it to the streets, end quote. In 1997, Corda, Supreme, and Pastor Kim were invited to appear on an episode of The Jerry Springer Show. The episode was called, I Want to Join a Suicide Cult. The Jerry Springer Show was perhaps the biggest chance the Church of Euthanasia had to spread its ideals and branch out from the greater Boston area. But rather than working to unify their messaging and convince people that their ideas were legitimate and right, they put all their efforts behind sticking up for anarchic, absurdist arguments, which most viewers did not take seriously. In the episode, the Church of Euthanasia representatives attempted to explain and defend the basis of their ideology, the perils of industrialized society, Earth's overpopulation problem, how the four pillars of the church would help solve them, and so on. However, Springer mostly ignored these ideas and focused on the most outlandish and repulsive pillar of the church, cannibalism, which nobody in the church really even practiced, but which the Church of Euthanasia representatives firmly defended anyway. And the church representatives couldn't coherently explain their positions to Jerry Springer. Their messaging was just too broad and confused, and each of the representatives varied wildly in their approaches to the church's ideology and mission. The Jerry Springer episode was emblematic of the pitfalls of the church's rhetorical strategy, because the church always went for shock value over anything approaching rationality or logic, it missed the opportunity to clearly explain the church's ideology. So the episode just became about how crazy and weird the Church of Euthanasia was. However briefly, the Jerry Springer episode did gain widespread publicity for the church, enough so that Corda caught the attention of some niche communities in Europe. Starting in 1998, she and other church members made several trips to cities in Germany and Spain, where Corda participated in debates about abortion, once notably at Trinity University in Dublin, Ireland, as well as performed and spoke at parades and nightclubs. The church also held demonstrations and was able to hold art installations at a few local museums. 
most notably a three-month exhibit at the Centro de Arte de Santa Monica in Barcelona, Spain, which was nearly removed from the museum when some locals expressed discomfort with the items displayed. Corda was received most warmly in Germany, where techno and rave subculture had become a mass movement among teenagers and young adults. Corda performed some of her Church of Euthanasia music at Berlin's Love Parade, an event which drew hundreds of thousands of attendees, a much larger crowd than Corda had ever played to or spoken at in America. Corda was so pleased with her success abroad that in 1999, when she released her second album, Six Billion Humans Can't Be Wrong, she continued to perform and promote the album in Europe. This wasn't to say that the church wasn't still making efforts in the U.S. Later in 1999, the church brought a homemade raft to the Charles River to stage a demonstration at Boston's WBOS EarthFest Festival. The raft, which struggled to stay afloat and upright, carried a large Save the Planet, Kill Yourself banner, and church members played Corda's music loudly enough to draw the crowds. The raft was eventually escorted to shore by police, and the church was, as usual, asked to leave. Then, in 2000, 40 church members counter-protested a protest against Boston's Bio 2000 Biotechnology Conference, stating that they were in favor of biotechnology as a means of human extinction. This, again, went against the church's stated principles, but that didn't seem to matter much to Corda or her followers anymore. The protest grew violent, and Corda was injured in a brawl. This was the last public demonstration in which the church took part. Ideal. 110 stories of concrete and steel I like too much. A quick warning to our listeners, we recognize that these next comments by Chris Corda about 9-11 are offensive, and we would like to make sure that you know that Corda's views are not representative of views held by Parcast, by Greg, or by me. On December 11, 2001, the three-month anniversary of 9-11, Corda released a music video called I Like to Watch. The video consisted of techno music that mashed together footage of the 9-11 attacks with clips of sports and pornography. The video went viral and prompted instant backlash and widespread condemnation from a nation that was still reeling from the terror attacks. In a later interview with Vice, Cortez said that the video was accurate in its reflection of her perverse fascination and sexual arousal at watching the attacks on television. She said, quote, Politically, it felt good to see Americans dying for a change. There was a sense of justice, of the chickens coming home to roost. In gender terms, the huge gash made by the plane was obviously female. I had witnessed a Freudian drama on a national scale. America's penis had been turned into a vagina, end quote. In one of her online e-sermons, released soon after I Like to Watch, She criticized the 9-11 attacks only for the fact that they were symbolic and hadn't resulted in significant population reduction. In that same e-sermon, Korda also expressed support for the Taliban. That's the Islamic fundamentalist terror group that enforced a strict interpretation of Sharia law over three-quarters of Afghanistan from 1996 to 2001 and has been widely condemned for its brutal treatment of citizens, especially women. Corda wrote, quote, 
The Taliban's desire to return humanity to the Middle Ages springs from an entirely different worldview, but the result would be much the same, end quote. She included its brand of terrorism among a number of other possible solutions to overpopulation. Yet again, the video and pro-Taliban statements were exemplary of Korda pivoting away from the church's position of solely voluntary population reduction, seemingly with no regard for the ideals she herself had established. Korda may have stood by her I like to watch music video, but it was released at what would soon become clear was a turning point in the church. And it was the last time Korda would achieve any significant notoriety in the public eye. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to cults. The mid-2000s brought with them increased public knowledge of global climate change, overpopulation, and the importance of conservation. More and more environmental activists and celebrities were taking up the cause, and the church was no longer one of the sole voices advocating for awareness. In 2006, former Vice President Al Gore's film An Inconvenient Truth would be released, bringing global climate change into the forefront of the public eye without needing any of the shock value the Church of Euthanasia had always insisted was necessary. In the months after the release of the I Like to Watch 9-11 music video, amidst almost universally negative responses, the church began to decline. In 2002, Vermin Supreme disaffiliated from the church in order to pursue his political performance art career. The loss of Supreme, who had always been a charismatic figure within the church, caused more members to leave or to become much less active. Donations and sales dwindled, causing the church to lose its tax-exempt status. And the church reached a crisis point when in 2003, a woman in St. Louis, Missouri committed suicide, and her body was found next to a printout from the Church of Euthanasia's website. The top prosecutor in St. Louis at the time threatened to file voluntary manslaughter charges against the church. But Corda, rather than engaging in a legal fight as she had once said she'd love to do, instead quietly removed the suicide instructions from the church's website, possibly as part of a confidential settlement. When asked about the incident in a later interview with Vice, Corda declined to comment. The suicide of the woman in St. Louis was the only officially recorded death that can be linked to the Church of Euthanasia's rhetoric. But there may also have been more people that were influenced by the church's pro-suicide message. For years, multiple people had posted suicide notes or announcements that they planned to commit suicide to the church's website, thanking the church for supporting and validating their intentions. When asked in an earlier interview with Shovel about one such letter that accompanied a donation check, Vermin Supreme responded, quote, I don't know. If it's real and it's consensual, that's fine, end quote. Before joking that even if the letter writer had not killed themselves, he was glad that they'd at least donated. Even if she did, the church's messaging around suicide directly fed into many of the fears that commonly plague people suffering from suicidal ideation, such as that the world would be a better place without them or that they are a burden on society. It's possible that there were many more suicide victims who did not explicitly state this or confirm that it was the church that had led them to commit the act. It's also possible that there are people who did state this, 
but whose surviving loved ones decided to keep the information private so as not to generate more attention on either the church or the victim. With the church's membership and local media attention dwindling, the church's activities ground to a halt. The website remains online today, containing an archive of all of Corda's e-sermons, writings, music, and press clippings. But the church had, for all intents and purposes, ended with a whimper rather than a bang, having failed to create a unified following that extended beyond the Boston area. After leaving the church, Vermin Supreme began a series of comedic political campaigns. He first ran in the presidential primary of 2004 and has continued to campaign in every presidential election since. He gained notoriety for his satirical political tactics, which take a leaf out of the Church of Euthanasia playbook in their outlandish policy plans and stunts. Corda returned to her career as a programmer and currently develops programs for 3D printing. She's periodically interviewed about the Church of Euthanasia and caught the eye of documentary filmmaker Steve Onderick in 2014. Onderick was the director of the documentary Who is Vermin Supreme? And he's currently working on a documentary about the Church of Euthanasia titled Save the Planet, Kill Yourself. He has filmed interviews with Corda, Eccles, Supreme, and other church members. Given Corda's aversion to conformity, it's fitting that even after examining the origin and practices of the Church of Euthanasia, it's hard to determine exactly where it fits in with what we typically categorize as suicide cults, and that there's a lot of ambiguity as to whether the Church qualifies as a cult at all. As defined by psychiatrist and Harvard Medical School professor Robert J. Lifton in his paper Cult Formation, there are three main characteristics commonly shared by cults. The first is a charismatic leader who may increasingly become an object of worship if the general principles that originally sustained the group lose power. The leader has no oversight or accountability and becomes the defining element of the group and its source of power and authority. The second characteristic, Lifton notes, is a process of indoctrination or education that can be seen as coercive persuasion or brainwashing. The third is economic, sexual, and or other exploitations of group members by the leader or leaders. This can include inducing members to hurt themselves or commit suicide. Corda's charismatic leadership of the Church of Euthanasia fits the first characteristic to a T. But when we look at the next two common characteristics of cults, brainwashing and exploitation, it's not quite as clear. Compared to the typical characteristics of most of the other groups we would define as cults, the Church of Euthanasia asked very little of its followers. It had a one-time $10 membership fee and, of course, required that its followers heed the single commandment to not procreate. But beyond that, all it really asked was for members to provide their time and efforts to protests and other events. And this time was often enthusiastically given, because at the end of the day, a lot of the people who followed the church agreed with Corda that overpopulation and ecological destruction were and are serious and frightening issues. They thought that being shocking and in-your-face was the only way to get their message across. Though once dedicated, those same people also seemed to have no compunctions about leaving the church when the motivation and momentum for keeping up the church's activities went into a downward spiral. 
This is also at odds with many cults, which are more often seen doing anything and everything in their power to convince, manipulate, and sometimes force members into remaining in the fold. Just as Corda resisted formal institutions, so did the Church of Euthanasia resist anything approaching organization. Even though it had a nominal hierarchy, it may simply have been too rooted in the principles of anarchy and free thought to sustain itself as an organization. But chaotic though it may have been, we can't forget that the church did distribute rhetoric that directly fed into common worries and suspicions of those experiencing suicidal impulse, inciting at least one person to commit suicide. Cortes said on multiple occasions that the purpose of the church was to change people's worldviews of issues such as overpopulation, abortion, euthanasia, vegetarianism, conservation, and so on, through satirical performance art, which would imply that this wasn't a genuine group. Corda also never stopped insisting that the being was real and truly spoke to her. She never stopped saying that the Church of Euthanasia should be taken seriously. In a 2013 interview with Planet Ivy, she called the church an extraordinary cultural development. And she said that to dismiss it as a prank is to show appalling ignorance of the history of modern thought. As with the vast majority of her materials and statements, it's difficult to discern what exactly she believed and what she just viewed as an art statement. So was the church an earnest environmental consciousness movement, a group of Dadaist performance artists who just wanted to get attention, or a genuinely dangerous suicide cult? If the freedom to have self-contradictory principles and ideas within the group was as much a part of the church as its four pillars, could it be said that the group really stood for anything? Given that the Church of Euthanasia's own members seem to have a spectrum of wildly varying views on the subject, we may never have a definitive answer. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. As always, we thank you for listening. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Reka Mohan and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.